may not feel that way, but spring is around the corner, which means you want to get down to one of your local steel dealers. That's S-T-I-H-L. They're easy to find. There's over 9,000 of them in the country, and they just help you get the job done, whether it's uh, spring cleaning in the backyard, in the front yard, blowing off the uh, front walk area or the back deck, blowers, trimmers, and all sorts of power tools. You got to cut down a tree. Nobody has more chainsaws than steel. S-T-I-H-L. They're simply the best in the business. Steeldealers.com. And you can look at all of their wonderful, wonderful products and find the dealer near you. Once again, that's Steeldealers.com. Always love telling you about my friends at Boyer's Coffee. Here's a Boyer's Coffee fun fact. Did you know that roasting at altitude in Denver is what makes Boyer's Coffee so good? Roasting coffee at elevation right here in Denver gives Boyer's Coffee a special advantage where they're able to roast coffee at a lower temperature so it makes the coffee smoother than any coffee you'll get at lower altitudes. It's terrific. It's how I start my day uh, each and every day. And I suspect uh, that many of you have been doing the same thing. If not, you're missing out. They've been brewing great coffee here since 1965. You can find them in your local market or make it really easy on yourself. Go to BoyersCoffee.com. That's BoyersCoffee.com. This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Drew talks with Rockies reliever Scott Oberg on getting ready for the 2021 season and why you should keep your eye on the Rockies. Well, because we have nothing to lose. Everybody's already counted us out. We're aware of that. That can be dangerous for a lot of other teams because if they overlook us, we have enough guys in different areas where where we can beat teams. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast at iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps other people find the show. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, folks. Glad, as always, that, that you're along. Scott Oberg is going to be our guest in a little while. But before we get to Scott and uh, some thoughts I have on several topics, including uh, March Madness and where the Rockies are on the eve of the start of the 2021 season, we need to talk about briefly what happened in Boulder. And I suspect I'm like you, so over having to say thoughts and prayers and read those tweets and verbalize those sentiments. They no doubt are heartfelt. They emanate from a place that we all go when we don't know what to say. Everything seems inadequate or trivial. We're collectively disgusted, outraged, frightened by the violence that has become so commonplace, and we're no longer even in the least bit surprised. And that is the worst of all feelings. Schools, movie theaters, places of worship, grocery stores. I remember racing toward Arapahoe High School back in 2013 when there was a shooting there. I was on the air at 104.3 The Fan, and it came across that there was shots fired at Arapahoe, and my oldest son was a sophomore, and I was trying to reach him, couldn't reach him. I immediately got in the car, and I'm driving toward the high school, and he called me a few minutes into the drive on uh, my cell phone, and I burst into tears just knowing that he was okay. And then we all gathered in a church parking lot and we were waiting to be reunited with our kids. And it was surreal. I'd seen these scenes on TV and now I was in that scene. You know, when I was growing up, 
It was toward the end of the Vietnam War. My biggest fear then was dying in a war, as so many brave souls have done throughout our history. Now, I pray my kids, my friends, loved ones are fortunate and are lucky enough not to be in the wrong place at the wrong time at home doing everyday things. Now, listen, I don't pretend to know the answers to end this, but if I can make a, a sports analogy, when you're playing a losing hand, when things are not going well, you call timeout. And you try and adjust the game plan, what you are doing, whatever that is. We need to look at everything possible to ultimately eliminate these events. And I think we all can agree on that. And now I'll try to make the uh, difficult transition to, to sports. And we'll stay in, in Boulder, if you will, for a moment. And we'll do our what's hot topic by uh, Boyer's Coffee. I'll tell you what's hot. Uh, that is the career of McKinley Wright. And I know things did not end as McKinley and, and all Buffs fans had hoped after a, a great victory, a blowout of Georgetown, where everybody it seemed like was picking Patrick Ewing's team, which was hot coming in uh, to knock off Colorado as a 12 seed. Colorado absolutely blew them out. They played loose. They hit a ton of three-pointers. It was fun to watch. And then they ran into Florida State. And listen, as badly as I wanted the Buffs to win, you have to tip your cap to Florida State. They defended Colorado. And I saw Colorado play most of their games this year. They defended Colorado like nobody had this year. They were long. They were athletic. And, and Colorado, I mean, they, they couldn't even, uh, you know, have a you know a pass from 30, 30 feet from the hoop that wasn't somewhat contested or tried to be denied. So taps off to Florida State. But I want to tip my cap to the four-year career of McKinley Wright, a three-time first-team All-Pac-12 player. I don't know the next time we'll see a college basketball player in these parts that has the overall impact, not only statistically, but from a leadership capacity, from a, a college student capacity, that McKinley Wright has had on the University of Colorado and that basketball program. He's the only player, only player in the grand and rich history of the Pac-12, formerly the Pac-10, the Pac-8, Pac-6, to score over 1,700 points, have more than 600 rebounds and 600 assists in their career. He's on a list of one. I've talked over the years, having had the buffs numerous times while he's been there, to Tad Boyle. It goes back to his freshman year, and he said, this kid's different. He started from day one as a point guard. That's a quarterback, right? We all know that. And earlier this year, having you know my 15th conversation with Tad about what makes this kid special, he said he is a once- in a lifetime player. Tad's been in Boulder for 11 years. He coached at UNC for four years prior to that. He was a player at Kansas. He's been around great talent, great leaders, great overall people. And he said, this is a once in a lifetime kid to coach. So I think you saw that in the, in the long hug and the tears shed between McKinley Wright and Tad Boyle at the conclusion of that uh, of that game against Florida State. But what an extraordinary career, and I wanted to acknowledge 
McKinley's four years, and I know whatever he does in the future is going to be basketball for a while, but he's going to be uh, a great success. And I just hope that uh, this help continues to propel Colorado forward, where the expectation is not just to get to the NCAA tournament, but it's to go deep into the tournament. I thought this was a team that could do some damage. And, um, you know, they were really good against Georgetown, but I think Florida State is going to be a tough out, especially uh, the way they defended the other day. How about this whole March Madness thing? I mean, it has truly been mad. There's always upsets. And the fun part of, of the opening weekends, trying to feel like you're the smart guy who picked the, the 13 over the four or the 12 over the five. And that is, you know, part of the great joy of this. But I'm telling you, there's no one out there that after that first weekend could say, oh, yeah, my bracket's still pretty intact. Heck, I lost two Final Four teams, I think, you know, in the first 48 hours. I had the Buckeyes going a long way. I had Illinois in one of my three brackets uh, going to the championship game. And so I I felt so bad. Not I didn't feel bad, but I felt like, all right, I can't be the, the only one. So I looked at this to the smartest basketball, college basketball guy that I am aware of. Jay Billis at ESPN, who is ubiquitous when it comes to college basketball and is universally regarded as, you know, not only a great expert, but, you know, a really thoughtful guy on college basketball and, and certainly an expert. And by the way, here's a quick aside about Jay Billis. And I didn't realize this or I'd forgotten. Jay Billis was doing an interview, I, I don't know, about a year and a half ago. And my name got mentioned. And I haven't talked to Jay in years and years and years because he said the first game I ever did, he's an attorney uh, by trade. You know, he's educated at Duke and then went to, to law school. And he kind of got into the broadcasting thing. And I did evidently the first game that he ever did at, at ESPN. It was his first broadcast. We did a I think it was the College of Charleston the championship and whatever that that conference is, is down there. And I remember going out and having, you know, a bite to eat with him after. Super nice guy, super bright guy. But I didn't realize, at least years later, that that was the first game that he did. Anyhow, I digress. So I looked at Jay Billis online. I wanted to see how he did in his selections. Could he have, you know, gone 13 and 3 on the first day or, or, or figured out a lot of these upsets? Because again, nobody knows more hoops than he does. And he was like, he was either like 9 and 7 or 10 and 6 on that first day. And I felt, okay, even Jay Billis couldn't nail this thing. It's why they call it March Madness. It is a blast. But uh, if, if there's somebody out there that, you know, is sitting at, at like an 85% win percentage after that, uh, opening round or two. I want to know who you are. It's going to be a lot of fun, though, uh, going forward, watching uh, this one. And for the record, I forgot to mention this last week. For the record, I had three pools out there. I took Gonzaga to win the whole thing in all of them. I think I had them over Illinois in one, Ohio State in one, and I had them over Baylor in the other. So at least the Zags are still alive and looking good. All right, now to baseball uh, and the Rockies. The Rockies got the biggest scare and the worst situation that they could imagine. The strength of this team, we know, is their rotation. And one of their two best pitchers is Kyle Freeland. And he throws a baseball. And as, as of this taping, we don't know what the official injury is, but he grabs his arm. He's doubled over in pain. It's not like, oh, I have a little discomfort. I mean, he's doubled over holding the back of his shoulder. 
which is, again, the last thing you ever want to see uh, from a pitcher. So you know this much. With pitchers, and again, as we tape this, we don't know what the injury is, but you got to figure he's going to be out uh, for a period of time. And you keep your fingers crossed that it's not, you know, the whole year, but it looks like it's going to be, you know, somewhat significant. And we'll talk more about this uh, in future shows. It's why you have to have depth. It's why you have to have great depth um, because this sport will always be about pitching and initially about the guys who start the games and, and try to get you deep into games and pass on hopefully a lead to the bullpen. We know how it works. So this this injury is significant. It means to me that probably Chichi Gonzalez is going to have to step in and he's going to get a number of starts. The guy I would like to see at some point in time is Ryan Rollison. He's the number one pick. He's thrown the ball well this spring. My guess is, and again, I don't know this at this time, that the Rockies will, will like all teams do, is kind of slow play it a little bit to make sure that they keep control of him long-term in Ryan Rollison. And that's generally waiting about a month or so into May uh, so you don't start the clock too early and he becomes what's known as a super two and you lose a year of controlling um, him down the road. But uh, I am looking forward to seeing Ryan Rollison and the Rockies depth with their rotation, which is is thin, is going to be tested right out of the gate. One other note uh, on the Rockies. I'm heading down to uh, Arizona tomorrow morning and we're taping this on a Wednesday night is. They have to reduce the number of strikeouts in that lineup. That young core of Hilliard and Hampson and and uh, you know Tapia, that group, and eventually when Brendan Rodgers comes back, the ball has to be in play more. And it's always going to be a challenge because you play half your games at Coors Field and then you have to make the, the huge adjustment going out on the road. But But ball in play and strikeout level – is going to be huge things to follow this year if you're a statistic freak. And that is lower the strikeout total, lower the chase total, up the on-base percentage, which is hopefully going to produce more runs and give you know a younger offense, now devoid of Nolan Arenado, a chance, particularly when they're out on the road. All right, mentioned that uh, Scott Oberg is our guest, and you talk about guys that uh, have overcome adversity and not just run-of-the-mill injuries, but three times he has dealt with significant blood clots where he wondered if his career not would be derailed, but would be terminated. And uh, thus far, he has had a great spring. Again, as of uh, this taping, he hasn't given up uh, an earned run, and he's going to nestle himself right back into... Uh, probably the eighth inning role uh, initially. He's a guy that's uh, closed games, as you know, in the past. And he is going to be a big part of whatever success the Rockies were able to achieve in 2021. Uh, he's going to be in the middle of it. You just cross your fingers that Scott continues to have um, the good health that has returned to him uh, beginning this spring. So our Ideal Home Loans interview of the week is Rockies veteran reliever, Scott Ober. All right, the first and most obvious question is, how are you feeling? Yeah, you know, right now, um, uh, for the most part, I'm feeling pretty good. Um, I've gotten out there, I think, three times at this point, and, you know, everything's been, been going well so far. You know, we 
we kind of um, pushed my bullpens back a little bit in January. Uh, I was in constant contact with Keith Duggar, and he wrote the program for me, my throwing program for the off season. And we extended my throwing program a little bit in January. He wanted me to get some some extra long toss days in, so we pushed my bullpens back to the end of to the end of January when I started. You know, we weren't really in a rush early on, but I threw a couple extra bullpens. I threw a couple extra live BPs. You know, the goal is still to to be ready for opening day. Do you feel like? You are in a place where you've overcome it. You've done it now a few different times, and you've had, I'm sure, the best folks in medicine uh, handling your situation. Do, do you feel like, okay, I'm past it, or is there never going to be that, that feeling? It's always going to be kind of somewhere in, the, in your mindset. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, I think it's it's going to be in the back of my mind just because it's happened on three different occasions. You know, the doctors told me that uh, they've pretty much done everything that they can do internally to alleviate uh, the issues. You know, they think they got to the root cause of it. So, Was there ever a point in time, Scott, honestly, where, where you felt like, I mean, you have a little one at home, you, you have your whole life in front of you, and I know how important, you know, family is, and I, and I know you have other interests and, and stuff. Was, was there ever a point in time where you said, you know what, this may not be worth it. I don't need to take the risk that, that you know, getting after it as rigorously as you have to as a professional athlete. Um, maybe I should just do something else. I mean, I think those were, you know, some of the initial thoughts, you know, when I was getting taken to the hospital uh, from from Coors Field. You know, the very, very initial conversations with some of the doctors, uh, you know, we'll do everything that we can, but, you know, we can't, can't guarantee anything. And, you know, I've had tremendous support from my family, as you alluded to, like, you know, between my wife and my parents and my in-laws and, and everybody else in between, you know, they've been nothing but supportive throughout this whole process. And, you know, I've been able to lean on them, especially my wife, throughout all of this. You know, she's been fantastic, uh, tremendous help, you know, not just from, you know, a physical standpoint, but from a mental mental standpoint as well. Just, you know, always being there for me and being supportive through everything. So it's uh, it's been a blessing. I hope I use the terms correctly because a doctor I'm not, and I've never played one on television. Um but, you know, thoracic outlet syndrome, axillary artery thrombosis, um, are those things also that Chris Archer, Daniel Bard, your teammate, have dealt with? Is, is that accurate? Bard and Archer, they both had the um, thoracic outlet decompression surgery. More times than not, it's, it's usually nerve-related, and I believe that that's what those guys had. The rarest one is, is the arterial. So that's kind of what they thought I was dealing with. How important has it been for you to be able to reach out? It, it sounds like you developed a relationship with Archer, obviously Bard, you know, you, you see every single day. Um, uh, how important has that been? Uh, I, it, it's been it's been very helpful, you know, just just be able to lean on, on some other guys. And, and I talked to, to Daniel early in the process, and when I found out that I was going to have it, um, have that procedure done, and, um, then I got put in, put in contact with, with Chris and, um, I think it was kind of, you know, I can't speak for him, but, you know, it was certainly helpful for me to be able to, to talk to somebody who was going through the same thing at the same time, more or less. He was a little bit ahead of me in his rehab process. Um, 
you know, so I kind of had a little bit of an idea of, um, you know, what to expect and, you know, going through it myself and my own experience through it the first couple of times, you know, not going through the thoracic outlet decompression in and of itself, but just, just going through similar procedures in the past, um, you know, kind of helped set my mind at ease a little bit. Yeah, you know, Scott, as we, as we tape this, you mentioned you've had three appearances. They've all been perfect, uh, pretty much. How, how do you, you know, you're a veteran guy. You've had a lot of success at the big league level. Um, how do you balance given the health stuff and given, you know, mid, late March, getting ready to, to go on, on April 1st results versus feel results are always great. You know, I think that that's a byproduct of, of doing the right things, make sure the delivery is intact. Uh, you know, the, the command is there, especially with the fastball. I got good feel for my off-speed pitches. They're they're breaking the way that I want them to. And, and and so far, that's been the case. And, you know, my velocity has been, you know, relatively where I want it to be. Right before you start ramping up for the season, you're definitely looking to uh, tighten all the screws up a little bit and start to get the results that you're looking for. Yeah, You know what? It's interesting with you because in, in years past, and we've talked a little bit about this, you're one of the – I don't, I don't know if it's strange folks who who pitch that actually get stronger as the year goes on. I mean, sometimes we talk about pitchers having fatigue or dead arm, that sort of thing. But, you know, you may work 92, 94, 95, and then all of a sudden it's August and we see, you know, 98, even 100, which we've seen from you uh, in the past. Have you always been that kind of uh, uh, pitcher and that you do get stronger? Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, once I kind of start getting into a groove a little bit, you know, the velocity starts to tick up a little bit. You know, I don't know if I'm going to be getting back into the triple digits anytime soon again. But, you know, I do feel once I've kind of, you know, gotten, you know, 20, 25, 30 innings under my belt, that's kind of, you know, starting to get into a roll a little bit. Here's a question for you. When do you think you figured it out? And probably you'll say you never figure it out. You're always adjusting and, and hitters are adjusting to you. But, you know, there was a point in time where you you looked at Scott Oberg and an evaluation said really good stuff and you see good outings and then you see, you know, some rough outings. And then the last, you know, couple, three years when you're healthy, you've been, you know, quite frankly, near elite and, at some point in time, there had to be something that stuck for you. Was there a moment or was it a compilation of things that has allowed you to be the guy you've become? Uh, yeah, you know, and, and I've, you know, reflected on this a bunch because I kind of had a roller coaster of a, of a major league career. I think when I got sent down in 2018, uh, I was able to kind of make some adjustments. I was able to really clean up my delivery, you know, and that had been something I'd been working on the year before too. And I'd had some success late the year in 17, kind of parlaying that into the playoff appearance. Um, but then that time in AAA, I really, you know, really focused on, you know, getting my delivery in a, in a position where I could repeat it on a pitch by pitch basis. And, you know, it allowed me to kind of be a little bit more aware of where my body was in space and be able to make quicker pitch-to-pitch -pitch adjustments. There was, there was a lot of times early on where I wouldn't necessarily make the adjustment because I couldn't couldn't feel what I was necessarily doing in the game. Um, being able to, to make the in-game adjustment, the pitch-to-pitch -pitch adjustment, if, if I did something wrong, you know, the ball is going to tell me, 
more or less give me every piece of information that I need to know because, you know, if I don't <clears throat> hit everything, hit my timing the way that I need to, the ball is going to do something funny or it's not going to end up where I, where I intended it to be. You know, and, and I think, too, kind of putting the two-seam fastball on the shelf because I had a really hard time commanding that, especially to my glove side, um, and, and focusing on the four-seam fastball really made a big difference for me. Getting the fastball command where I needed it to be and getting a better feel for the slider all kind of all kind of verged and came together at the same time. Are, are you still in a situation where you will throw your slider, any pitch, any count, any situation? Yeah, yeah, I've gotten to that point where I, where I feel very comfortable throwing that pitch, um, really in any situation. And, you know, I've had one opportunity to throw it in a 3-2 count in spring training so far, and it worked out, um, worked out pretty well. Yeah, I know what the politically correct answer is to this next question. Uh, eighth inning versus ninth inning, setup versus, you know, being the guy to get the, the, the last three outs. Um, with you not available in 2020, you know, great story. Obviously, Daniel Bard ends up in, in that spot and did a did a fine job. Um, honestly, how important is it to you, you know, to work the ninth inning where you were working versus perhaps, you know, setting up for, you know, Daniel or, or perhaps someone else? Yeah. And I mean, you know, like like you alluded to, I mean, you know, I will give the politically correct answer, I guess. But, yeah. you know, to me, that's the truth. Like, I, you know, I honestly really like, you know, it, it doesn't matter to me. You know, it's something that, you know, yes, it would be nice to be the closer, sure. But at the end of the day, like, you know, if I'm able to get put into a position where, you know, I can help the team win, um, it doesn't matter, you know. And, you know, I think our bullpen is kind of positioned uniquely where, you know, Gibbons has closing experience. I have closing experience. Bart has closing experience. SD has some closing experience. Diaz has closing experience. You know, so we got five guys right there that have done the job at, in some capacity. You know, where you know it gives Buddy a lot of options. You know, I, I've always referred to bullpens in many different ways, and there's certainly many adjectives that would would apply. But uh, I'm going to use a different you know, kind of phraseology here. It's kind of a, a group oftentimes, not not necessarily the Rockies, but but oftentimes the bullpen is is like a group of misfit and strange toys, if you will. And um, and there are all kinds of personalities. And I do think if you spend enough time in a bullpen, uh, you do, you know, you, you lose some brain cells. Do you not, Scotty? I mean, you certainly can. <laughs> you know, you're sitting down there for, you know, couple hours before you get a chance to play um you know so there's a lot of uh a lot of conversating going on um but you know it's always fun you get a unique group of characters and i've been lucky enough to you know to play with some unique guys and guys that have had a lot of experience and you know between you know latroy hawkins and john axford and boone logan and adam Adovino and you know chad qualls jason mott like you know all kinds of guys from all different walks of life and you know, now getting a chance to play with Daniel Bard and, and Michael Gibbons and, you know, both of those guys have, you know, great stories in their own rights and, you know, especially Bard, you know, I mean, that, that can't be said enough about, you know, the tremendous comeback that he's, that he's made. It's a group of guys that really stick together and everybody's really pulling for each other and, you know, you get the guys coming up and, and they're fitting right in too, so it's, you know, guys are giving them a little bit of a hard time, you know, from a 
you know, from a joking standpoint, and you know, it's uh, it's fun. You know, everybody's it's a very accepting group, so it's uh, you know, guys get to come in and be themselves right away. So it's uh, you know, definitely fun to be. I think I think when guys are are in that position to to, to really be themselves, it, it lends themselves to be confident on the mound, where they don't have to worry about you know, am I being accepted in the clubhouse? You know, will the guys Am I being ignored in the, you know, down the bullpen? You know, you know, you know, we have a group of guys who are, you know, we're all constantly talking with each other. We're all hanging out together, and you know, it's a, it's a fun group. More with Scott Oberg in a moment, but uh, first, this from a longtime sponsor, Ideal Home Loans. I've been involved with them for a number of years now. They're in their twentieth year of taking care of folks like you, saving them money in the process of getting a new home or in the process of refinancing your home, or maybe it's consolidating debt. They're terrific at what they do. They've been celebrated for what they do. 303-867-7000 is the best way to get a hold of them. That's 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. Again, they're going to save you money. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They are locally owned, and they've been doing a marvelous job taking care of people, and that's why they have so many repeat customers, and I'm raising my hand because I'm one of them. Give Brent Ivinson's team a call, 303-867-7000. It's Ideal Home Loans. Now back to more with Scott Oberg. Are, are you atypical at all in that um, you, you're probably never going to grow the shaggy beard and come into ACDC um, sprinting in from the bullpen? You are more, if I may, uh, an intellectual sort. Is that... Uh, is that fair, and does that set you apart in some ways? Oh, I would say intellectually light. <laughs> but, you know, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, that's not really like my personality to get to get too amped up. You know, I know. You know, there's definitely some guys that that like that big scraggy beard look, and you know, like having a lot of energy, and you know, come sprinting out of the bullpen and seems like they're foaming at the mouth or whatever, you know, I, you know, it's <laughs> kind of something that doesn't, doesn't really work for, doesn't work for me personally. And I think, that, you know, we actually kind of have a little bit of a calmer group, you know, I'm excited for this year. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I want, to, I want to talk to you a little bit about this year. I, you know, clearly, you know, player versus what, scribes may think um, can be, uh, you know, there can be a huge delta between the two. And at the end of the day, all that you guys care about as athletes is, is what's going on in your room and what you believe. Um, you know, there, there've been changes. We, we all know, you know, who's gone. Nolan's no longer there. Um, this is a club that's still only a couple of years removed from a lot of success. Um, the So finish this sentence, if you would, for me. The Rockies can contend this year because dot, dot, dot. Well, because we have nothing to lose. Everybody's already counted us out. You know, all the projections have us in the bottom five of the league. We know that. We're, we're aware of that. That can be dangerous for a lot of other teams because if they overlook us, we have enough guys in different areas where, where we can beat teams. And, you know, I think that this is probably – some of the strongest pitching that we've had, at least since I've been around, and you know, even maybe possibly even in in the history of the Rockies, where at least from a starting rotation standpoint, you know, you got five guys that have been around have been around each other. Um, you know, Gomber's new to the group, but he's looked really strong in camp so far, 
And, you know, I think that's going to be something where, you know, we can kind of lean our hat, lean, lean on, um, going into the year on a daily basis when you, when you don't really have high expectations from the outside, you know, I think you're kind of in a position where you can kind of play a little, little free and, and you can kind of go out there and prove why everybody was wrong. And, you know, so, you know, I think that that's, that's what we're looking for. And I think it's, it, you know, I think it's, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be a fun year for us. Obi, is that talked about inside or is it just, you know, you, you all are aware of, of what other people think and, and it's kind of a, an unspoken chip on the shoulder or is it something where periodically, you know, whether it's in small groups or, or maybe even as a club, you guys have spoken about that? Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both. You know, I think, I think overall on a daily basis, I think we know that, you know, a lot of teams or a lot of, you know, whether it's the organizations or, or the writers or, you know, what have you, or whatever other pundits that are out there, um, you know, we kind of know, you know, what's being talked about, and there are times in small groups or whatever um, it has been discussed a little bit, and you know, it, it's it's just something that I think drives guys, and you know, they want to prove those people wrong. They want to prove that you know that this is a good team, and and that we have quality players, you know, in our lineup on our pitching staff, and um, you know, I, I think it's. You know, everybody's talking, at least in our division, everybody's talking about the, the Padres and, and the Dodgers. So it's easy to, to overlook, you know, a team like us. And, you know, I, I think, you know, we have enough guys offensively where, you know, we can be scrappy. We, you know, we got some base runners on the team. Um, you know, I think we got guys that, that want to be aggressive. And, you know, I think if things kind of come together for us offensively, I, I you know, I don't see a reason why we couldn't put ourselves in a, in a position to uh, to contend. Very good. All right, I'm going to ask you a couple more questions, and and this one, this next one, um, Obi is is it does not have to be a big league moment. I'm going to say, what is your greatest day as a player? And I don't care if it was 10 years old and you hit two grand slams and threw a no hitter because that would be a pretty good day. Or in your case, you punch out four and you, and you push your club. Uh, uh, past the Cubs in the wild card to a division series against Milwaukee, which you know that's probably what most fans would 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 uh, would think. But what's your greatest day as a player? Um, I mean, honestly, I think I think that probably was my 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 greatest day as a player. You know, to me, it was just something where everything really had come together for that for that particular season, and then it was able to be. You know, I was just lucky enough to be in a position where. You know, I was given the ball um, at that time, and we scored, and um, you know, got a chance to close it out. I think, you know, it, it doesn't really get much higher than that. Um, you know, you think back to, you know, some younger days too. Um, you know, pitching pretty well in certain games. Um, you know, even, even I think I think it was like eight or nine years old. And like I turned an unassisted triple play, <laughs> that was pretty funny. Right. Um. But but yeah, I think that playoff, that particular playoff game was uh, was definitely the climax of of my playing of my uh, as a player. Well, well, typically you don't have to worry about this. You never you're not gonna have to worry about hitting. It's probably the last year that we're gonna see pitchers hit 
to begin with, the you know, Freeland and, and uh, Herman and those guys will worry about hitting a little bit. But back in the day, when you turned that unassisted triple play, were, were you a middle-of-the-order threat in, in Little League in Tewksbury? Um, yes and no. I was never really much of a power hitter. And the only high school home run that I that I ever hit was uh was when I was playing JV. Um, you know, we had a couple of guys that could that could hit the ball pretty good. Our high school field, uh, unfortunately, didn't really lend itself to to home runs because <laughs> because out in um, left center field there was a softball field yeah. at the very end of uh, our little enclosed complex, and it was like probably 360 down the left field line and. 330 down the right field line, and there wasn't really much of a fence out in the center. It was just kind of hit the ball as hard as you can and run, um, you know. So, I mean, I wasn't really much of a power threat or much of a hitter in general. You know, I ran into a couple games where I had a few doubles, but, um, you know, it wasn't anything <laughs> anything of a consistent thesis where, where I would lend myself to any kind of a scholarship to hit in college. There you go. Listen, Scott, I got a few years on you, and back, and we're both from the Northeast. And back in the day, if you played on a high school field that actually had a fence, I mean, not just, well, there was a fence out and left, but there's nothing the rest of the, I mean, a, a fence like it was a ballpark. That was like, holy shit, look at this, man. We get to play at such and such high school. They got, they got a real field, you know? Right. Yeah, no, I mean, that was it was still the same. Um, you know, coming out, there's just a bunch of places where, you know, it was just, you're just playing on a on an open field essentially, <laughs> and right. you know a lot of times you just hit the ball in the left center and and, and you got to go run the thing down and you know you got to put the burners on a little bit if you want to if you want to if you want to cross home plate. All right, last one. I'll let you get out of here. So if you if you if you were not playing baseball for a living, what would you be doing? You know, I think I'd be teaching just in, in some respects. You know, that was something that. You know, I'd studied history in college, and and that was kind of always something that was in the back of my mind. You know, my mom was uh, was a school teacher, and, and that was kind of always like a big influence for me. Um, you know, my parents were always, you know, really really prioritized, uh, you know, the education with my brother and myself. So I think I'd probably be a, you know, school teacher in, in some regards. Hey, and by the way, I never asked you this. Um, Growing up, when when you got offered it at UConn, what what other options did you have? Yeah, I mean, I had a lot of options locally, like a lot of the uh, Division two schools. Uh-huh. Um, you know, UMass, UMass Lowell, Merrimack College, um, Franklin Pierce up in New Hampshire. Um, but some of the Division one schools, like I'd been recruited a little bit by St. John's um, before I committed, and then. Um, I think they just kind of ended up taking a different path with a few other with a few other guys. But um, you know, when it came down to it, my options were the University of Vermont, um, you know, which I kind of dodged the bullet on there because they ended up um, cutting their program after my freshman year, and uh, Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York, and, and UConn. Those were really the those are the only three places I, I got Division One scholarship offers to. And, uh, you know, when it came time to make my decision, you know, I essentially, I essentially took the worst deal for myself, at least from a financial package. Um, but it was more of a kind 
kind of bet on myself type of thing. Like I didn't, I didn't want to, you know, look back on my college days and be like, Hey, look, like, you know, what could have been if you had gone to UConn? Like, could you have played in that conference? Could you have played, you know, at the best available school that gave you an offer? So I, I just kind of, um, you know, I bet on myself and it was a really good academic school at the same time. So, um, if it, if it hadn't worked out baseball wise, at least I know I'm in pretty decent education. And, you know, so, so that was the thing. It was like, Hey, you know, let's, let's make sure we don't have any regrets with the decision. And, um, you know, luckily it worked out and, you know, I got a lot of friends that, that I keep in contact with and, um, you know, it was, you know, probably some of the best four years of my life. And on and on top of that, I met my wife too. So I mean, you know, cherry on top of that. There you go. Hey, by the way, that's the right answer. That's that that when you when you t- when you retell that story, if your wife's uh, going to hear it, you make sure that is the number one reason, and then the other stuff you mentioned are two, three, and four, right? Well, yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, you know, going into it, obviously in high school, I wasn't really anticipating meeting my future wife, but you know, that was, uh, you know, you you can't ask for anything better than that. Yeah, that was a bonus. Hey, Scott, listen, man, I appreciate it. Stay healthy, most importantly. I wish you nothing but the best and uh, individually and collectively this year. It's always good to visit, man. Yeah, I appreciate it, Drew. Thanks for having me on. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll see you soon in, in some regards. Scott Oberg's a good man. He's a bright guy, as you can tell. He's a, a deep thinker. And, again, given everything that he's gone through, man, do you pull hard for a guy like Scott Oberg. And it's funny when he was talking about the pen, and the Rockies' pen is a little bit different. A lot of good guys, but not a lot of guys that you can just point to and go, man, that's a bullpen guy. He's a huge character. You can tell he's got the scraggly beard, or he sprints in, or he's doing something that sets him apart. There's a little more normalcy, it seems like, in the Rockies' pen than uh, some others and uh, that I've witnessed uh, through the years. But again, we wish Scott all the best. We appreciate uh, his time, as always. Next week, Chuck Nasty will be aboard on uh, on the podcast. We look forward always to sitting down with Charlie, speaking of deep thinkers, and speaking of characters. Now, Charlie has the character thing checked off, the deep thinker thing checked off, and also the beard that would play in a bullpen. He's got that checked off as well. That'll be uh, next week on what will be our 90th edition of the Drew Goodman podcast. Hey, a reminder, check out my boys uh, at DNVR, uh, Drew Creaseman and Patrick Lyons. They do a show every day. It's a lot of fun. I join them uh, once a week, but they're on top of the Rockies. They're on top of baseball on a daily basis, so make sure you download uh, their podcast as well. Listen, stay well, stay safe, love up on one another, and we'll talk uh, again in a week. You've been listening to the Drew Goodman Podcast. Subscribe at iTunes or wherever you find podcasts. And leave a comment that helps other people find the show.